1: When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine Miller-Karis.
2: Hello, I am your host, Elaine miller Karris. Welcome to Resiliency Within. I want to let our listeners know we're also on Facebook Live at Resiliency Within. And if you'd like to send me an email, Elaine at resiliencywithin.com. So, our show today is about building resiliency in rural America. Building accessible interventions promoting mind and body health in rural America is possible. Research suggests that individuals living in rural areas are less likely than residents of urban areas to seek professional help for psychological distress uh, for several reasons, including stigma, both public and self-directed, and also what we call mental um, health literacy. Like, what's going to happen if I go to see a therapist and how are they going to help me? Lori Strand and Melissa Boley, both psychotherapists working in rural Idaho, will share their insights and how they've managed to their individual I added this spunk and commitment <laughs> to build community coalitions to create accessible and affordable programs promoting well-being that can lead to greater mental health. By the way, they both grew up in in um, Idaho. They're not transplants, so I think that's a very important um, aspect as they start sharing with us their perspectives because this is something that they've lived through even within their childhoods. What it was like to grow up in r- rural America, and I think they have. Um, unique insights because of that experience, but I think they'll talk about the strengths of their community and how they've integrated the community resiliency model into the school system and other community organizations, and I want to tell you a little bit more about each one of them. So, I've known Melissa for a number of years. She's a licensed clinical professional professional counselor in private practice in Ketchum, Idaho. She specializes in trauma and holds advanced postgraduate certifications from the Trauma Resource Institute, the Somatic um, Um, Experiencing Trauma Institute and the EMDR Trauma Institute. She's taught trauma um, both nationally and internationally in Nepal, the Philippines, and in Serbia. And the work she participated in with the Trauma Resource Institute, I had forgotten about this, Melissa, uh, in the Philippines, was actually on PBS on Life on the Line, Mm -hmm. hosted by Lisa Ling. We were both on that show, which was pretty exciting. And we were there helping um, Filipinos um, after Typhoon Yolanda. And we certainly, um, they also helped us, didn't they? Because we learned so much from them when we were there. But also Lori Strand, she's a licensed clinical social worker and is the mental health coordinator and therapist for the Blaine County School District, a small district in the mountains of central, South Central Idaho. She recently started her own business called Resiliency Rising, which utilizes the research-informed community resiliency model offering individuals and organizations tools to heal and thrive and become trauma and resiliency informed. She's pretty passionate about bringing crim skills to everyone because she told me a long time ago that she was going to be one of the leaders bringing um, um, resiliency-focused interventions to the entire state of Idaho. So we're going to ask her a little bit more about that. But boy, is she busy. She serves on the board of the Hunger Coalition as a chair of, of advocacy committee and volunteering her time. Um, regarding the see the Five B Suicide Prevention Alliance, you might want to tell us a little bit about that. But I know that you've also been in, involved in coalitions. You both have in bringing resiliency to Idaho. So I'm going to start out. So first of all, welcome, ladies.
3: Thank you, Elaine.
2: Thanks, Elaine. So, I'm so glad you're with me today. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to start out by asking you both, um, knowing and seeing your commitment to healing? What called you to do this work you're both so committed to in the world? And I'm, I'm going to start with you, Melissa.
3: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, what called me was um, I had the privilege of going away to an all-girls boarding school, which I loved uh, in Colorado, and it was called the Colorado Springs School, it still is, And they raised us with Outward Bound principles. And Outward Bound is a wilderness program. It was 23 days. Um, And basically, they taught us the importance of groups and that we couldn't move any faster than the slowest person in the group, that we had to stabilize that person and get them on board with our main goal. And our goals usually were climbing mountains or river rafting or skiing together or climbing rocks. And so I learned the importance of groups being together, working well in balance, and I also, by mastering the skills they taught us with the outdoors, learned to believe in myself. So it was believing in myself and believing in the group cohesiveness that got me going.
2: Thank you, Melissa. And how about you, Lori? What what, um, what can you share with us about, was there anything in particular that makes you so passionate about the work you do in the world?
4: Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny, Melissa and I have super similar backgrounds as far as, um, my journey with, um, working in the mental health field started in wilderness therapy in the desert of Idaho. And I worked, um, ran an experiential therapeutic program on a farm in Montana for about eight years with youth, um, through an organization called Garden City Harvest. And so, um, just being in our bodies and working that way and being a part of something important um, together was a huge jumping off point. Um, But I think more than anything, um, my passion always has been believing that we as individuals do have a lot of capacity. And once we harness that, that then we're so much more powerful kind of as a community. Um, And that just leads into pretty much every day what I am most passionate about, which is giving individuals the tools to then be stronger as a community.
2: I think what I, I've learned from both of you too is, and having been to Idaho um, a number of times, is just there's something so beautiful and organic about the place that you live. And I've seen where you both have kind of had this lens of how can we also bring an organic vista of how we can promote healing within within individuals and communities. And so that kind of gets me to my next question. This is also a personal question. So when you each of you have had struggles in your life you know, what or who has helped you um, um, journey through those struggles? So, Melissa, I'm going to come to you first again.
3: Yeah, first and foremost, it's been uh, movement in nature, using our resources of Idaho, being out in the mountains, just moving in, in nature. And then uh, also my husband, Tom, and also um, my colleagues here, and I would say, and my work, have really helped ground me whenever there's challenging times.
2: And how about for you, Lori? what is, what would you like to share about that?
4: Yeah. I, you know, it's so funny. I always, when I was a kid, if you would ask me where I would live when I got older, I was like, thought I would move to Los Angeles. I like loved LA, just was like, I'm getting out of here. And for some reason, every place I moved was like smaller. (laughs) So I moved (laughs) to Alaska for a while and Utah and Montana and, um, I do believe I didn't know it at the time, but those wild places and, um, have always helped me continue the, the everlasting human healing journey, you know, it doesn't just end one day. Um, I so I would, I love that those <laughs> wild places. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that, and, and of course my family, you know, is such a, I have such strong family ties and my, they have, you know, been there every step of the way and, um, Yeah, I'd say those two are probably the strongest. Okay, so... Um, let me kind of move into some
2: other questions right now because Melissa and I have known each other for a long time, longer than I've known you, Lori, and um, I met you actually through Melissa's work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Melissa, you've been trained in a lot of different therapies, and I know that you're quite committed to um, body-centered um, therapies. But So why was it that you first brought the trauma resiliency model and then the community resiliency model into Idaho? What was it about these two models that inspired you?
3: Well, I began with… Uh, let's say, body-mind body, body mind, uh, therapies in 2000, and I had a hard time. Uh, I believed in them, and it worked super well in my practice, but I had a hard time explaining exactly what we do, <laughs> and so I met this woman named uh, Elaine uh, with the Trauma Resource Institute, and uh, she brought me on, and When I went and witnessed what you were doing with the community resiliency model, it made so much sense to me. The skills were so usable that I was like, oh, my God, this is the ribbon I needed on the package to explain how trauma holds in the body and how we can bring about balance in our nervous system. And the skills were so usable. And when I saw it work with people on that playground, Elaine, we went out to a playground where people were getting supplies and we had our participants practice the skills with people that needed the help. Um, I just was like, wow, you could use this with everything, every single family, every single agency, school systems, um, our systems in government. Um, The skills were just so usable and they worked. And so you gave me the language and you gave me the model to bring it forward. And I was very passionate. I also was trained in family systems with the Milan theory. So I understood how systems work. And I saw the power of that.
2: Yeah. And so I think the other thing, can I, if I could just add this to one of the things you talked to me about was that it was expensive to bring um, therapies into Idaho because there's not that many people. And I think what we've tried to do with the community resiliency model is making it more accessible so that it wasn't so expensive. Because Uh if it's expensive, it would make it more, um, you know, more of a reach for rural America. And I Uh think, I mean, would you say that's true, Melissa, or not?
3: Yeah, I think that's true. And I think um, the other thing I saw in the Philippines was empowering their own people to empower their own. Okay. So empowering people to empower their own was really a big game changer for me because many places we do not have mental health therapists. We do not have the ability to spread the word. And so I kept thinking about Katrina and I kept thinking, what if every single person that went into that Superdome had had along with a bank, blanket and a cot, had Mm had a little mini intro of the community resiliency model as they walked into the dome so that they'd be able to know when somebody got popped up too high or too low out of the balance of their nervous system. And they'd be watching out for each other. And what if they knew the skills to bring them back into balance? Would we have had to go through a death in the Superdome? And I was like, wow, that would be a game changer.
2: And And I think that, you know, that, that, Exact philosophy is like if we can get it into the water that as many people know how to regulate their nervous system and and it's in their own hands and I think that brings me to you Lori because I've been inspired by what you've been doing with CRIM and the trauma resiliency model in the Blaine County School District so can you tell me us a little bit about it you know what inspired you to do this um, how is it going. Um, let us know a little bit of, because, I mean, in the beginning, it was just kind of like a couple of you, but now it's mm-hmm. kind of expanded. So let us know about your work with Blaine County School District.
4: Yeah, well, um You know, when I came into the school district, I was kind of charged to do some work with um, streamlining so that every student, no matter what what school they went to, would have access to the same mental health supports. Um, And so then I spent a lot of time researching different ones, getting trained in different modalities, and was set to go I think to New York um, with two of my other colleagues to get trained in a different modality, which I won't speak about because they all have their strengths, but um, asked, and I don't even remember how it came about, but somehow got in touch with Melissa and asked her to come in and do just a day long workshop. I think it was a day long or a half day. And um, by the end of that workshop, um, that evening, I remember calling my boss and canceling and saying, you have to come with me to California, we need to go get trained in this model, and I need you to see what you think. Um, and I think that um, that journey then has led to, um, now it's you know the base of our um, crisis first um, response. Uh, when we have crises in the schools, it's our, it's our go-to model for the way that we support the entire district, whether it's a death of a student or a death of a parent or a teacher. Um, it's the underlying model for all of our counselors, social workers, psychologists, and we have, I think, five teachers within the district now. Um, and so, and teachers, we, we do, um, teacher, uh, workshops, um, both in person and in zoom. So it's just built to more capacity. And, and I really, um, I think what's been the best part of it besides, you know, When someone has taken these trainings, whether it's a counselor or a teacher, pretty much immediately they'll come back and say, um, I've never had anything work so quickly and be so helpful, right? And I think that was when, you know, I've often told this story that I was becoming pretty, I didn't know that I could stay in mental health forever. I kind of thought like, I'll give this a few more years, but I actually think I'm going to need to pivot to something. And that was because my nervous system was just getting bumped out all the time by, Sadness and crisis, and um, and so was everybody else's. And so it's pretty amazing to watch when you get some tools. They're easy, they're simple, but it doesn't mean it's always easy. Um, that people do the work and then become stronger again as a community.
2: So, that's well, so I, how you know, gone. the question that I was going to ask you, but maybe you answered it. But I think mm-hmm. I want to say it out loud. To, so, what was it? about yeah. when melissa came that you said i'm i mean first of all i'd mm-hmm. have to think twice about canceling a trip to new york because i love new
4: york oh that was the only reason <laughs> i didn't want to cancel it <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> trust me it was painful <laughs> yeah. I had a a lot of I it was very sad yes yeah.
2: but that, for you to cancel the trip to new york what uh. was a, a, about what melissa shared that got that got to you that said this is it. What was it? I'm just curious about what the, it was.
4: You know, I think, so I think it's two things, but it's the same thing. One of them is we spend so much time telling people and ourselves, like just pause before you make a decision, right? Well, if you have never read your nervous system or have no idea what it, when you need to pause your capacity for doing it is it's, that's a shame based statement, Because you have no idea what it means to pause. And I think for the first time, I had gained understanding of what it meant to really know what was going on inside uh, my body and notice how I could pause. It was like, and it's the only way that I can explain it. And I've watched that with everyone else, too. It was like, oh, I I can use my brain in this really brilliant way sense my body and shift kind of those storms, it doesn't mean the storms go away. You know, it just means that I can have a different relationship with them. And then I can respond in a way that works for me and those around me, I guess would be the best way.
2: Well, that's a pretty powerful statement when you, and to think that you just had either a half day or a whole day training. And yes. that's what, what you yeah. got from that, which I guess brings me to my, another question from Melissa, how has your work in, in your community changed since you did bring the models into the um, community? I certainly see how it changed Lori's work, but how, how has it changed your work?
3: Um, I would say, yeah, I think that the ability to have people track is huge. It teaches them to pause and to read their nervous system when it is in balance and when it's out of balance. And we tend to notice more so when it's out of balance, we can say, oh, yeah, I know when I'm getting anxious because I shut down with my mm-hmm. breathing and my heart starts pounding. But the, the resiliency piece is really noticing when you're in balance and we don't notice it as human beings as much. Mm-hmm. And that is a really key thing. And I, I guess it's changed my work in that I can explain how the nervous system works to people in a very simple way. And we all have nervous systems and animals all have nervous systems. And people that do not speak the same language all have the same nervous system. Yeah. And so it's so great because everybody can relate to it. And they go, oh, yeah, it's universal." universal in the education. Everybody gets it. And so if I can teach people to track, then that's the biggest piece of then teaching people to get into balance.
2: And And so um, I just want to remind our listeners that tracking means learning to read your autonomic nervous system. So when you are... It, when you have a charge in your body, when you have a release, when you have that deeper breath where you feel more relaxation, that when you're able to, to navigate that system for yourself, that I think what we're hearing from both of our, our, our wonderful speakers today, that it's a game changer.
4: Mm-hmm. Melissa, that was really beautifully put. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll
3: Lori, look- you're a yoga instructor and Lori, you know, mm-hmm. I remember in yoga and I'm really not great at yoga, but, um, <laughs> uh, you know, you, what do you do? You lean into where it feels a little stressful and then you back off. That's mm-hmm. tracking in itself, right? right? Yeah. And so, yeah, the skills are, are just universal. That's all I can say. They just work. Well, with
2: and I think what's a little bit different about the, about the way that we put together the community resiliency model is we really want people to start leaning into their well-being, their yeah. sensations yeah. connected to their well-being. Not yeah. to say the stress is not there, but that is also, I think, a game changer for many people, which mm-hmm. brings me to another question for Lori. So, Lori, can you tell me about a student um, or a client that changed the way that you know you practice? Um, is there one that comes to mind? You go, wow, that really has that was amazing. Bringing this work work into into my practice in this way.
4: Yeah, you know, because we do live in such a small town. I kind of, you know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of um, a group of individuals a little bit, which are my amazing, you know, um, 15 to 17 year old boys. Um, so in wilderness therapy, I was always an instructor to boys groups. They always stuck me with the boys and never with the girls. And in my work, you know, of course I saw both males and females for sure. But, um, I just have such a passion for young boys. I think they struggle so much with figuring out what their voices, is with their feelings and what's going on with them. Um, so I just think of, you know, with one um, student, which was just struggling with panic attacks, just constantly, um, man, we did some, um, help now skills, which again, you know, I'm in a school system. I'm not like in an hour session where we're processing anything like that. I am like, how can I give you the tools so that you can be in class and go to school and not stay home? And so we ended up doing some lamination of help now that he could, um, do whenever he needed to. And he, um, So his big one was drinking water and putting his hands underneath his legs, sitting on his hands on his legs. Right. And so we would practice these when he wasn't, you know, um, bumped out of his zone. And um, one day I just remember um, when I'm coming into my room and saying, I just like can't believe this works. Like, I just can't believe this works. Um, And so and there's a handful of those things where some students would use questionable, they would talk about questionable resources, whether it's smoking pot or drinking alcohol, right? And we would kind of play around with that. And they would notice that they would be as calm in the office, just talking about that without having that substance there. And then we could kind of build from there and notice that like, they just wanted the tools on how to feel calm and connected and a part of that they could actually get. And they never had experienced that before and to see their faces just kind of be like, this is so like, are you a witch doctor? You know, and to be like, you're doing it on your own. I'm not doing anything. You know, um, those, you know, just seeing those boys be able to, um, kind of have and that. So, and I think
2: this is, and because I've heard this before, people say, gosh, what did you just do to me? It's not really what you do to someone, is <laughs> no. you help them to understand, understand the service system. Yeah. And I want to just say a little bit about help now. Help now, there's a there's about 10 help now strategies we've come up with. We could probably think about 50, if we wanted to, or 100. But they basically have to do with um, with occupying the mind and the body in a different way. So, it yeah. could be drinking a glass of water and noticing as as you're drinking the water. It could be pushing against a wall. It could be naming colors in the room and noticing the shift on the inside. So, they're yeah. very simple and are so easily integrative, integratable into school systems mm-hmm. that we have heard from all over the world that um, many many of the teachers and the people that are in counseling roles feel that, oh, thank goodness for help now strategies. So what, yeah. and so the fact that, so did he have panic attacks in the same way after that, or was he able to manage them better?
4: No, totally able to help manage them better. And he used to get them when he would go on overnight trips. Um, and so we made, um, You know, this was a a Spanish-speaking family, too. So, we made laminated cards in Spanish and gave them to his caretakers so that when they would go on road trips or something, they would have these little cards that then they could support him with. Um, And no, it was um, pretty incredible to just see how he could track using these skills that didn't have to do with breath for this student that was not helpful and to um, bring kind of that, his nervous system back into balance and then just really notice that, right, And so one of the things that you
2: said that I think is really important is this, you know, this can we talk about in terms of scalability is when you teach something to someone, who else can you teach it to? Mm -hmm. So you talked about his caretakers or Mm -hmm. it could be their parents or it could be other people that have um, interchanges with that child. But when you teach other people, then everyone is talking the same language and also can use the same kinds of helps. So Mm -hmm. not only to help the child, but to help themselves because, I think yes. it's important for our listeners to know that these also help adults, right, to get back into mm-hmm. their zone, because so many times children are having difficulty because the parents are having difficulty. Yes. So I think that's a very for important sure. part of, of what you're doing, too, when you, you bring, you illustrate those, um, those points. But I also want to say one thing about, I think this has so much implications, and I think we need to do more research about this, is that if what a child is trying to do is to be calmer. And not to feel like I'm depressed and sad all the time, or I'm just so jacked up. but they can do something that is organic and natural, and that they don't have to use a substance. Imagine that might change the use of substances in adolescence if we gave children other tools to use. And that's why I'm so thrilled mm-hmm. that you are bringing them in into the into the Blaine uh, County School District because children are getting these skills early. And how is it changing their life? I know Melissa has something she wants to say about that. Melissa, what would you like to say?
3: Well, you know, part of like, how do we know that it's making a change in this community? Um, It's hard to say because, um, you know, people don't, we don't interface. Well, I I interface with people in my private practice. That's how I get input. Or people will refer um, someone to me to learn the skills, that kind of thing. That's how I know we're creating a change. But there were a couple markers One is many kids are coming into my practice, and if I start with, oh, these are these skills that might really help, they'll be like, I already know these skills. We learned them in school. Okay, so that is really great. Mm -hmm. So Lori has planted that seed all through the school system, which I couldn't do because I wasn't part of the school.
2: I see. So I'm just... I'm just seeing that there's not only the the system of working individually, but also working in community. So when we come back from our break, I would love for you both to talk a little bit more about that because we really want to help people understand what you've been doing individually and and communally
5: um, because
2: we want to try to improve the mental health in rural america that's Mm -hmm. one of the things that's you know bottom line and i think there is i mean when you just said that too i think oh my goodness the challenge is if you live in rural america you may not see these folks all the time
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, and there's little pockets like in schools that you may see them
3: yes they're bigger systems
2: Different in terms of how do you see that something is working or changing? And so I want to say to all of our listeners that Melissa Boley and Lori Strand will will, will continue to share with us after the break about how do specifics, really, of how do we improve the mental health in rural America? And also, how do we remove some of those barriers and constraints to bringing... Innovative ways to cultivate well being that really is about cultivating not only our mental health, but our mind body health. And I know that both of you believe in that so um, seamlessly and passionately. So we will be back in a few moments with more from Melissa and Lori.
1: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Trauma Resource
0: Institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma-informed and resiliency-focused individuals and communities worldwide. Our mission is to take people from despair to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to TraumaResourceInstitute.com for more information.
5: Elaine miller Kerris' book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, the Trauma and Community Resiliency Models, is available on Amazon.com. Elaine miller Kerris co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com trauma resource institute build resilience awaken hope
0: your life your health your network you're listening to voice america health and wellness
2: Welcome back. This is Elaine Miller-Karris with um, Resiliency Within, and I'm with my two wonderful guests, Melissa Bo- Boley and Lori Strand, talking to us about mental health strategies in rural America. Specifically, their part of rural America is Idaho. So I'm, the question that I have for both of you, um, if you could do anything to improve mental health in rural America, what would you do? So I guess this time I'm going to start with Lori and then I'll go with Melissa. So, Lori, you go first and then Melissa.
4: Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. Well, (laughs) I think one of the first things that I I wish, if I had like a magical wand and and could do anything, one of the biggest things I'd really love to do is reduce stigma just all around. Um, I always equate it to like a broken wrist. We don't ever tell people they need to take they're cast off and that they're like faking it right um but we do this with mental health all the time and people are so fearful of reaching out for services especially in rural america because your therapist is also goes to the same church as you walks down the street you see him at the grocery store etc so it is just more inherently challenging Um, that's one of my biggest um I think the ways that i approach people in counseling is through that of it's all it's okay to be not okay we're all in this together humans are are messy and we're just figuring it out together so that's one of the things i think i would love um more of the ability to do um by increasing just simple awareness um So the reason that I love this model and the reason that I think it is really useful for rural America and why I want to get it implemented in businesses and organizations and our healthcare system and with our first responders is because, um, I can talk about it in that it's biology based, right. And, and based on neuroscience, right. So this is not a thing that I've decided is a neat idea, um, Either did you, Elaine, right? You're not like, oh, this seems like a neat thing to do. Um, It's based on biology. And like Melissa was saying, just that we are all walking around with nervous systems that are constantly reacting to things. um, And mine is going to be different than yours. And so just being able to um, present that information that way. Um, In the rural communities, I think can be really helpful instead of saying, um, yes, these are wellness skills, but I speak about it differently. I'm not going to go to um, some first responders and say, let's talk about self-care because I'm not sure that that's the approach that feels best. You know, but when I can say stress has impact on our nervous systems and our long-term health, that is much more easier to understand with different populations. So I think mine is that um, we speak, the we meet people where they're at. Um, we talk in a way that supports what they're looking for. Um, and so that, I guess that's, that's my biggest hope for for mental health in, in rural America. And also seeing it as not separate, right? We talk about mental health, but can we just save health? Can we just talk about it in terms yeah. of health?
2: Or mind, body health. Yes. And how about mm-hmm. for you, um, Melissa? Um, um,
3: I would echo on what uh, Lori said. And really when I first came to Idaho and started these models, I, I was really thinking about the stigma with mental health and basically the biology piece and that the model reduced the stigma because of the science and mm-hmm. biology. And so that's number one, get Idaho on board with neuropsych with biology. And that's number one for me. And then number two is get communities involved so we can all support one another. Um, I'm already working with Lori, we're, we're talking about the last incident that just happened in Idaho with our mall and how we can get people in place to help people that have gone through that incident. Um, so it's training a lot of people in this state and it's also getting the capacity. That's the other piece is getting the capacity. So we have trainers in different regions of Idaho. So we can call up our buddies and say, Hey, Hey, Heard you had a big uh, fire up north. Uh, Do you need uh, maybe some help or support with some CRIM trainings in, you know, so that we can have a network of people that we can call on. And Mm -hmm. I know you had that in San Bernardino, Elaine. You had already trained a lot of people there. And so you had a network to call on. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're trying to do in Idaho because initially it was me. Then I got another person. Then I got another person. I think we now have, 20 people in Idaho trained in the model in various forms, whether it's trim or clean. Yeah, I think there might even be a few more than that. Yeah. And
2: uh, I also want to just say that also... Is your husband? <laughs> he's, he's now yeah, also Tom's, a Tom's a teacher too. So, <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> really brought it into your family. I'm waiting to see your boys next, Melissa. Yeah. But, you know, there's, <laughs> I want to I want to ask you both about because you know I was on on the break we were talking. You both said, uh, actually, Melissa said, you know we're cowgirls in um in <laughs> Idaho. I'm definitely not a cowgirl, although I do know cowgirls in California too. There are people that are definitely cowgirls in parts of rural Cal- California, yeah. but I also noticed that. You know, when I go to Idaho or even seeing sometimes you on Facebook, uh, Melissa, you're climbing a mountain, you're doing something that a lot of people would not do, Um, especially when they're older. They might do it when they're younger, but not when they're older. But there's a certain endurance factor, I guess is what I'm saying, a certain strength of physicality that I've known, even if you've had, you know, Melissa, even when you had your back problems, right? Melissa's going to get better so she can do the stuff that she loves. So I'm wondering about how that plays out when you're a tough girl or a tough guy um, and saying, oh, I'm suffering from sadness or depression, or I'm, I'm so jacked up all the time, I just want to blow my top. Does, does that play in that factor? I'm, just, I'm curious for both of you. That wasn't one of our planned questions, but it came up. I told you one of these questions might come up. So I don't know which one of you wants to tackle that.
3: Uh, I think it's going back to the nervous system and biology, and that we are really most efficient when we are in balance with being the tough guy or the tough girl. Okay. And so, and also the term resiliency, being flexible and adaptable to life stressors. So, as I get older, I'm adapting to the types of climbing I do. I don't climb at the levels I used to climb at 20. Okay, so I think it's learning like how, when are you most in your resiliency and what changes that? When can you, uh, you know, in Idaho, we we all are connected to nature. That's one thing that's really uh, key here. I think most Idahoans would say that our wilderness feeds us. Either it's through hunting or fishing or horseback riding or mountaineering or climbing or river rafting. And we have that asset here as a huge resource. And I think people learn, like, wow, if I really blow my top, I may not be that efficient going through the rapid because I didn't look at it first, okay? And I need to slow it down a little bit and think about it and put that thinking cap on. And so it's like, how does it work for you when you're handling these life stressors or when you're in the environment and you're in unison with it? What Happens. How do you get back in the flow of it? And so, I don't know, you know, sadness, if you just frame it as part of the nervous system releasing and that it's okay, and that's what the natural beauty is. When a horse basically lets out a sigh, it goes, right? And all of a sudden, its nervous system readjusts. It's biological, and these things are nothing to be ashamed of happens so, in-
2: yeah so i can see you know what i'm just hearing what you're saying too is that if you even connect it to if you love horses and noticing the biological process of horses that if you own a ho- horse you've noticed that before and then what happens to us if we're getting you know jacked up or if we're kind of disconnected so well, i mean can i tell
3: you one more thing about of horses. course yes okay i learned this i went and did an actual psychology seminar with horses for five days in montana And I had no idea, but we are herd animals just like horses. And horses, basically, when they are in balance, they all beat the same heartbeat. And it's at the same rhythm. And when something comes into the horses that creates some kind of stress, such as a coyote or a cougar or something on the outside of the herd, what happens is they have sentinels. They have guards on the outside, that are set up with the horse organization, and they start beating faster, which then gives a message to the herd to go to flee. Okay, so it's like sonar. So if if the whole group is in unison with the heartbeat and being in balance, the more productive it's going to be in order to access whatever, grazing, eating, that kind of thing. But if there is something coming in that we need to pay attention to. Our bodies will take over, and then it'll move us to safety. But it's all done through the heartbeat.
2: Well, I was I amazed. The, the implications with that. of tracking and reading your nervous system for an individual, and from what you just explained, how also we know through mirror neurons that what we see we tend to experience. That that also very much directs us in human behavior and can affect our families and our communities. So I want to give Lori. Lori, anything more you want to say about about that question or anything else that's coming up as we've had this little this little discussion.
4: Yeah. I think the only thing that's really come up that I've been thinking about and and I don't even know that I'll answer a question more than pose one, but is just this idea of I think in our rural communities there is In America in general, we have a strong um, identification with individualism. And I would say we just have a stronger one in rural America where there is just this rugged individualism that we don't want to get rid of. It's, It's not like it's not a negative thing. It's actually feels powerful and good and almost like it is resilient. Right. So it's, it's also kind of what else is true, bringing that question in, which is one of the most, which is now my most favorite question on the planet is what else is true. Right. I, can I be this really tough, rugged individual woman. Right. And also depend on other people. Right. Can, do they have to be mutually exclusive? And I think that's a lot more of the conversation also that I feel like when I'm working with groups, maybe that, don't have the mental health inclination, right, is that it's not either or, it's and. It's, well, so, and yeah, I'm wondering the question, um, why are you so
2: passionate about getting information to those that may not mm-hmm. seek it out? Is that is that the answer? <laughs> or is there more to that? Because that sounds like that would be very powerful.
4: Yeah, you know, Elaine, I love that question because it, it um, pretty much just sums up my, um, I guess, the charge that I feel I'm <laughs> on right now, which is, um because it is a, a model that's based again on on neuroscience and biology, and it is so incredibly healing for everyone when you're around someone who is in their zone, who knows how to track who is regulated, and just like you said what you see you experience. Um, this can be just so available. I just think of businesses, right? We have a huge shift in the workforce right now, right? People are dissatisfied. We're having, Um, really um, difficult conversations in our, all levels of our political systems. Um, And I'm seeing that a lot of these conversations don't seem to be happening a lot with people that maybe are um, in a place where they're their best self. And I wonder what the conversation would look like in all of these different areas, in our workplaces, if we were feeling like we were in our zones, if we could track a little bit, if we could support each other um, through the way we speak to one another, um, through um, just the conversational way that we can bring resiliency to our conversation. So yes, this is my, just my number one passion right now.
3: Yeah. And Melissa, do you have anything that you want to add? To well, that? I'm just saying that in crisis, people ask me, how how have you survived as a trauma specialist for 32 years? And there's something magical, it's kind of weird to say, but with crises, because there's no individuality in crises. Mm -hmm. When crises happen, such as a huge snowstorm up here, we're in a ski town, you know, uh, big snowstorms used to happen. If you slide off the road, everyone stops and helps you get dug out. Okay, they all stop to dig the car out. It doesn't matter what politics they're in what's happening in the world nothing like that it's just responding to what's happening in front of them to help one another and this is the beauty of community and that's the beauty here is that we all help each other out with fires you know people are are needing to put their horses somewhere and they all network with each other like do you have a pen do you have a pen right and so it's a yin and yang thing. I mean, I don't love crises, but at the same point, it does bring people together in a different
2: way. And when you're talking about this, I'm also thinking, oh, well, you're talking about, Lori talked about individualism. That is so Mm -hmm. part of being a person from Idaho. And yet you're talking about how community comes together within the framework of individualism and how important both are to Mm -hmm. a, a rural community. And so then when we come back to the mental, the mental health issue and i like what you said which just the health issue the mind body issue yeah. if we could remove all the barriers and constraints what project would you do and i'm going to i mean that was a question that you posed to me lori so what project would you do i want to know about this project
4: <laughs> oh man i think i love creative questions i don't know that i've even fully flushed it out to be quite honest but i do believe that when um, when people start um, speaking the language of the community resiliency model, there's an ease to those relationships that I don't have in my other relationships. Now I know this sounds interesting. And so people you'll have to reach out because it, it happens, but there's an ease to the way that you can flow through because you know, um, well, you know, the other person is is right there with you and wanting to support you and your nervous system sounds so funny. I know, but it, it's just true. So I guess again, if 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 you if all the barriers were taken out again, I would see employee like people want to be employed in businesses, right? They want, um, they want to have a job where they feel like their employees care about more than the bottom line, but they care about them as humans in within families and within communities and, and our frontline workers, when I, you know, when I see an accident and I see a, a firefighter responding, it's like painful. I don't want to like jump out of my car and be like, okay, can you feel your feet on the ground? Just remember. And what do you notice? You know, I want to, I want to be there supporting that person. So I guess it's more how, and it, it doesn't feel like I want to save the world. Like I'm trying to, to, do it in a way that is it. It really is for the world as a whole. Like I feel like we can all operate calmer, more successfully, easier when we are in a place of balance with one another too, where we feel safe in connection with one another, where um, we're, we feel valued by all of those places that we are, and we know that we're all kind of working towards this common cause. Oh, my and, gosh. Know, Does it sound really Pollyanna? <laughs> well, you're talking no. to me, remember. I know. I know. We talk. understand. <laughs> you we get it, me, you know, Fifteen
3: years
2: ago that, oh you know, be in so many countries and I would have a radio show, I'd say, oh, really? I don't know about that. Um, but I think that, I think if if we can think it, it can be possible. Yeah. I know part of that is that you want to bring this to all of Idaho. And I know that both of you are working to do that. And, yeah. and and not only the individual, but also in the community ways. So, mm-hmm. Melissa, do you have anything you want to add to, you know, removal of barriers and constraints? And if there were none of those there, what would you want to do in Idaho?
3: Um, I would continue on with what we're doing. And that would be continuing to train everyone about the nervous system and about balance and about how to support one another in working with various groups. We have all the nonprofits trained in this entire valley. We have. Um, we're getting in with the hospitals. We have done EMS trainings, uh, emergency medical services, and ski patrol is one of my objectives right now. Um, Love it, yes. Because because if you think about it, first responders. If they're there on the scene and they watch their buddy starting to go into a freeze state, and this is the thing in a small town, we know most of the people that get hurt. It's a ripple effect in this valley. And so if you're working on your neighbor and you start getting freezy or whatever, something happens, and your buddy that works with you notices that and can bring the skills up and help you, Mm -hmm. it can be incredibly powerful. We can't do this work alone. And there's a lot in the world that is happening right now where I feel like I'm on a mission. I know Lori does. And we've got to help with that. And I just, I'm wondering if I could read a poem, Elaine. I just really want to read this poem. Well, go ahead. You can read a poem. Okay. Um, oh, yes, we have a few okay. minutes left.
2: So go ahead, read your poem. All right.
3: So a dear friend of mine was killed on Mount Rainier with my professor, And it was my whole outdoor ed class, and it was in an avalanche. And later in her pack, and her name was Janie Diepenbrock, um, they found a poem in Janie's pack, and the poem says, Nature is indiscriminate. It is awesome and powerful, yet serene and stimulating. How can a mountain be conquered? It is not fighting. It just is my ultimate goal janey wrote to become part of nature to gain its non-prejudice outlook it's what we're talking about it just blows my mind Mm and what's happening now to come to terms with death because all fear stems from the instinct of self-preservation and then at the end she wrote if we lose that fear we gain ultimate freedom Wow! And so So, part part of the resiliency is to help balance that fear. uh And then ultimate freedom is found.
2: Well, and also when she says that it is, because when we talk about our nervous system, it's not a right or wrong. It just is. And wherever it is, there are things that we can do to help us, each one of us. We can help ourselves. We can help our family, our friends, our community, kids at school, those ski patrol folks um, in terms of learning how to read their nervous system. Because once you get back into what we call the, the okay zone or resilient zone, that zone of well being, you know, we're kind of showing up at our, as our better selves and then we're not as likely to go off on people. We can even talk about the things that um, sometimes divide us. You know, that question that you said, Laurie, about what else is true that we say, well, that made that divides us, but we also believe that as a community that we've endured a lot and will get through a lot. I mean, I, I certainly have seen that expressed in in both of you. We just have we just we have just a couple minutes left. I'm just wondering, um, Melissa, you've shared that beautiful poem. Lori, do you have anything you want to say as your parting words today?
4: Um. um. You know, not really. I feel like I've, I've, I've said quite a bit. I think, um, I think, I think one thing that this model brings about in this super polarized world right now is that we're actually we're just all in the same boat. We're waking up each day just trying to navigate it. Um, I love this model for the reason that it is not polarizing. It's coming down to just uh, the base of a human and and everyday experiences and that it is about perception. Our nervous system is about perception, the way that our bodies perceive things and, and just loving that there is something that I can come together with people and that the way that we present information is to support all walks of life and give everyone the tools. Um, And that is, that is, I need that hope right now you know, and it makes me feel really good about it doesn't matter what room I go into. I don't need to agree with people on things. I just want, you know, I think everybody just wants everyone to be okay at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, yeah.
2: thank you both for leaving me and our viewers, I think, with hope. Both of you are so exemplary of sharing your world with us and what you're doing in your part of beautiful Idaho. And I just think, um, what you're doing, I'm hoping that you will continue. And that what I'm going to come back to what Lori, you said about remember what else is true today in your own lives, listeners, that there may be turmoil, there may be divisiveness. There may be, oh, I don't know if I should do this or that, but remember what else is true in your life. Remember those people by your side mm-hmm. um, with the sadness of the death of your friend, Melissa, to think that she left that beautiful poem for you to be able to share with us today, yeah. just about this about life, because okay. it really is a testimony to life, isn't it? It's the what else is true, and mm-hmm. I'm glad that we could memorialize her today in our discussion because, Thank boy, you. she was one rural, rural lady if she was climbing Mount Rainier. Yes. So, um, again, Melissa Boley and Lori Strand, you are in my heart. Thank you so much for coming on board.
3: Yay.
2: Yes. Um, my heart Thank goes you. out to both of you. And I hope one day to see you in person. Oh, me too. I hope, to, I hope to come to Idaho and, and stay at again. again. Yeah, there you yes, go. Yes, so, there you go. So, <laughs> yes. um, so listeners, this is Elaine miller Karras signing off for resiliency within we will see you next um next time we have two lovely women from two native american tribes that will talk about how they're building resiliency among our indigenous people as we really commemorate and celebrate um uh national native american heritage month so until we meet again
4: all right remember bye-bye. what else is true bye-bye thanks elaine, Bye, elaine.